Welcome to another episode of Open to Criticism, my podcast about how we talk about movies, who gets to do it, and why it matters. I'm Wendy Lloyd, and my guest this week is journalist and author Kathy Ray. You're probably either going to see somebody who's a wheelchair user or someone who looks like me or somebody who has a disability that is not obvious, it's not apparent. And what we need to look at is who is not in the room and who is not on the TV and who is not on the cinema screen, rather than who is. Kathy regularly writes and speaks in the media about the intersections of disability and pop culture, particularly film. And I was prompted to contact her on reading her review of Bobby Farrelly's recent film, Champions, starring Woody Harrelson. It's a remake of a Spanish film from 2018 and features a supporting cast of learning disabled actors. Kathy's verdict on champions is surely a much needed critique from the perspective of disability and it contrasts significantly with many reviews by non-disabled critics. With cinema and indeed storytelling having a long and complicated and still decidedly problematic relationship with disability in terms of representation and tropes, I was keen to get Cathy's take on these issues, issues that are often missed and overlooked by the non-disabled critic and filmmaking majority. And I figured that this probably starts with language. So I began by asking Cathy for her personal terminology choices when discussing embodied difference. For me, I say disabled. Um, I don't ever use people with disabilities or with differences or things like that. Um, And that's kind of a political statement in a way, um, because by calling myself disabled, I'm kind of... um, and acknowledging and also celebrating at the same time that disability factors into all parts of my identity. Um, and I don't want to ever shy away from that because my disability is not the problem. Right. I think that's that's an interesting point. And I was reading something, another article um, this week, and the woman writing that was saying she uses disabled not least because um, society is disabling. Yeah. So it was kind of using it in terms, like you said, I guess, again, a, a political way of using it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that too. I agree that society is disabling. I think our bodies can be disabling as well, though. But yeah. Okay. No, that's that's very helpful. That's very helpful because I think I think for able body is it able bodied or is it what was the uh, non disabled? That was another thing that I came across. Yeah, I I use personally I use non disabled. Um, okay. Because it's a very clear opposite, and I also think that I am able bodied and non disabled. Because what does able refer to? Yeah, no, well, that's right, because that's what I was thinking when I was saying it. I thought abled kind of makes a lot of assumptions there. It makes a lot of assumptions, yeah. Yeah. So I just say disabled or non-disabled, and it's clear enough for me. It is indeed clear enough. Thank you for that. Um, Well, let's move on to your review of Champions, which is what prompted me to get in touch with you. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Uh, I was invited to see the film uh, because it has a number of disabled actors in it. And I'm uh, known for writing about disability and pop culture in certain circles. And so um, 
So I, I read up on the film and I thought this looks like something I'm probably not going to like. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So you already had an idea before. I, I had an inkling. Yeah. But yeah. I, I tried to go into things with an open mind. So I didn't read any reviews of it. I just read like the synopsis. Um, and I kind of thought it's just going to be really hard for them to do this in a way that really honours and respects the disabled people they're bringing on board and doesn't tokenize or use them uh, for profit, basically, or for clout. So, yeah, so I arranged to see the film and then I contacted The Guardian and The Guardian said they'd like to publish uh, whatever I think on it. Right. So so tell us a bit about the film and your sort of like um, overview of it. So it's set in the US and it's a film about um, a guy played by Woody Harrelson. Um, and his whole thing in the film is that he is reckless and selfish and irresponsible as shown through relationships he has with other people, through drink driving, things like that. And then uh, an incident happens and he's taken to court and the punishment, we're going to put that in inverted commas, mm. uh, is that he has to spend time coaching a basketball team, all of whom have learning disabilities. Um, in the US, they call them intellectual disabilities, but here we say learning disabilities. Um, so that's, and he either has to do that or go to jail. Uh, and then there's a supposedly funny bit where he's like, coming and ring over which he'd prefer, uh, but he chooses to coach the team. And then so we kind of see his journey through doing that. Right. Well, thank you for that, because that kind of helps set the scene. Um, and I looked through, obviously, I read your review and I, I've sort of dipped around quite a few um, for the week of release. And I think it's fair to say there's kind of been a mixed reception for the film. Um, you know, many people used the old cliche of it's heartwarming, mm. but predictable. There's been um, a fair amount of celebrating the casting. Um, but it's interesting there you mentioned about not least that central plot factor of training and coaching this team with learning disabilities is considered a punishment. And I haven't seen anybody else pick up on that. Yeah, I think there's several things that I, I picked up on in my review that other reviews just didn't go into the same detail. Um, and I don't know if that's because, uh, well, it could be for a variety of reasons, but um, I was looking at it from a purely kind of, is this a film which is going to progress how disability, especially learning disabilities, are depicted in film? Mm. That That was my main question. And so that like everything I thought about the film all relates back to that. Yeah. So first we see that, you know, spending time with people with learning disabilities is a punishment that is kind of enforced rather than something that would ever be chosen by somebody. Yeah. And then kind of throughout there's kind of sprinklings where it's a bit like there's just this this little these little soft reminders that what Woody's character is doing is kind of almost like a charity. And also that it's there to make him a better human. Like these these people are just, uh, I think I said in my review, mascots. Their, their only purpose is to make him look better. Yeah, yes. And I think this is really, I mean, and this is very central for what this whole podcast is trying to do, is that your review really highlights how if we do not have a range of perspectives 
um, looking at things, critiquing aspects of culture, especially that touch upon different communities or, or, or just perspectives on the world. If we don't have that, we don't see stuff. Um, because as you said there, a key aspect of this film is that, and it's something we've got used to watching on cinema, is this idea, this trope of somebody finding redemption through other people and they are just peripheral characters. And that's so much this film, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And there, there are, you know, to give it a little bit of credit, there are little glimmers where they try to give these characters a bit of, uh, they try to inject a little bit of personality. Um, not, not, sorry, that sounds wrong because they do have loads of personality and they would totally be able to carry the film had they been let, um, do that. But, um, you know, there are little glimmers where they give them a bit of screen time and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, that person's really funny or they've got a great one liner or they've got an interesting backstory, but you're only, you're only seeing it for a minute and then it's just gone. Um, yeah. and it's like for disability, but especially for people with learning disabilities, this, even this low level of screen time is not seen. And so that's why everyone's celebrating it, right? Everyone's like, oh, it's amazing. You've got so many people in the film with learning disabilities. And that's just awesome because um, you don't get that. And also you get a little bit of the character history and stories and blah, blah, blah. And you don't get that ever um, because uh, people with learning disabilities or, sorry, learning disabled people and disabled people in general are just usually this kind of one-dimensional pity vessel uh in hollywood um so you know yeah it's progress from that but for me you know i'm critical and i'm just like well it's not enough progress <laughs> yeah i think that's the point isn't it it's coming from a, a very low bar yeah, um exactly. and it's interesting that the director of the film bobby farrelly who of course most often is directing alongside his partner peter farrelly um it's interesting to note that they received an award for their long-standing commitment to inclusivity and authentic casting in entertainment a few years ago so it's very much a case of these guys it's almost like so these guys are doing a bit better than everybody else <laughs> yeah yeah which you know it's not hard no because everybody else isn't really doing anything <laughs> well exactly so your verdict would be that these characters there was a bit more going on for them but were they and obviously it wasn't their story which we've kind of established mm. but um were they well drawn these characters um a couple of them yeah in theory there's a couple that i'm just like yeah these these people seem cool. They've got a cool story. But it's just, it's so hard to tell because you only get a minute of them. Right. It's too brief. It's too brief. It's too brief. And because there's so many of them, there's just too much to pack into it, really. Because because Woody's redemption is this is the entire storyline, basically. So they don't de devote enough airtime, screen time to that. I, I just don't think it should have been a redemption story of a non-disabled person. I don't think disabled people should be used like that in the film. No, and I, t I, t I do appreciate that. And also something else that um, I think you pointed out in your review is that the disabled actors don't get on-screen credits at the end of the film, but the non-disabled actors do. Is that right? Well, they get they get credits in, you know, the, you know how they roll up the big list of names at the end. At the very end, At the yeah. very end, yes. But at the, at the beginning of the credits, they just put, you know, the big stars' names up uh, in, a, in a big font. Uh, while the disabled characters all dance around in like an outtake kind of video. Um, and that was just very jarring for me to watch that. Yeah, I mean, just hearing that and reading that in your review just kind of stood out to me because, you know, you do tend to think that people would be... 
I don't know, they'd be kind of checking yeah. those kind of things, wouldn't you? It seems like quite an obvious thing to me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like likewise. Well, um, let's talk about, I mean, the, the casting of disabled actors then, because obviously, as we've said, you know, this film does cast disabled actors. And that, again, from a very low bar is progress from, I mean, I don't know, what, what do you think when you think back to the days of Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump and Rain Man and things like that? What's your thought on all that and where we've got to? It's interesting because when I was uh, writing the piece for the guardian for this film um i'd already seen peanut butter falcon but i looked up um kind of a bit of backstory on how that film came about uh it stars shia labeouf and uh an amazing actor who is learning disabled basically that man has i would say most of the screen time if not shared equally with shia which is revolutionary in terms of uh hollywood because he's also authentically learning disabled and and at the time that the film came out it was so widely praised for how uh the risk it had taken giving so much screen time to uh this unknown actor who was also disabled uh and then so i read this article which was like a bit of a backstory on peanut butter falcon and uh all the people that worked on it were interviewed for it and it was saying how they had to really, really, really fight to get screen time for this disabled actor. Firstly, they didn't even want someone disabled in that way. And then they had to really, really fight. Uh, the, the actor has uh, Down syndrome, I think. Yes. They had to really fight to um, to get him the screen time he did, to get him the credit he deserved and things like that. There's such a, oh, this is too risky uh, element of, of putting disability in film. Because ultimately, studios want people to go and see films, right? They want to make profit. Um, And what they know is that if they cast, even now, even in 2023, if they cast a non-disabled actor to play a disabled character and they frame it in this kind of, oh, let's pity him, oh, he's a champion at the end narrative, that will probably do better than if they cast a disabled person as a disabled character, and we don't have like this triumphant ending. Yeah. And, that, and, and it's interesting you say that because, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was reading and clicking around on, you know, just sort of, as you said, you're, you know, the kind of history of all this in cinema. And it was interesting to discover an article where, and it reminded me, I, I did remember this at the time, that the director, Jim Sheridan, actually said a couple of years ago that he would not cast Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot Now playing uh, disabled artist Christy Brown. Mm. He would not do that now, you know, and he, although there's a sense, I think, that maybe it's not a good idea, I think it's an interesting point about how ultimately they just want to make money and they worry that it's not such a big kind of sell if it's not a non-disabled actor mm-hmm. who is like, oh, how marvellous. Look how, look how well they did. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I think also there's this kind of... Um, there, there are a lot of films and books about people who have regressive kind of disabilities and all start off non-disabled and then become disabled. And so, you know, that's the perfect kind of Hollywood excuse for casting a non-disabled person, right? Because uh, you need to show the non-disabled character at the beginning yeah. uh, and then they'll they'll cosplay disabled by the end. For example, when they cast uh, Eddie Redmayne as Stephen Hawking, and he was obviously non-disabled at the beginning and then uh, became disabled by the end. You know, that's a great excuse for Hollywood not to not to cast somebody disabled, right? I, I, I definitely have thoughts about that kind of stuff as well. I mean, 
yeah, it's great they're putting more disabled people in film, but the but the figures are still shockingly low. So I really don't think it should be celebrated. No, and as you said, also it's this thing of what's the what is the story about? Yeah. And if the story is not actually a wide variety of stories, rather than as you said, this very classic trajectory of overcoming or doing something in a way that that means it's there to make the audience feel good about themselves. Yeah. Um, we, we need to move beyond that, don't we? Yeah, definitely. And I know that films, are, like lots of films, are meant to be feel good, but they should never be feel good at the expense of somebody's identity, yeah. you know, at the expense of, of respecting an identity. And, you know, when I think of champions... I think, well, what is that actually doing for the disabled community? And it's really not doing, not doing anything, not really. Um, and I don't think it's done particularly well, like in the box office either. And so I don't even think film studios are going to be like, I mean, maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, but I doubt film studios will be like, oh, well, that was such a hit. We'll put more disabled people in film. Mm. Yes, that's the disappointing upshot, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't. The reason I haven't been able to see it ahead of this interview is that I didn't get to see um, the press screenings in advance, and now it's not on in a cinema anywhere near me, and I'm in London. <laughs> so um, yeah. you know, it's. It, I think that kind of says it itself. It's not on many screens, and then, as you said, then a, a call will be made, and there'll be a financial judgment made off the back of it not making enough money. Right. Exactly. And then who does that damage? Because it's probably not going to damage Woody Harrelson. No, no. Let's move on to then the kind of, it's almost like the, the other end of the um, representation spectrum of disability mm. and talk about something that, again, has started to be talked about and recognised. But this idea of uh, disability being habitually used to denote a baddie yeah. in a movie, you know, scars, disability, it's got a it's long history of a trope. It's a shortcut for the audience to say, oh, this person is a baddie. Right. Um, how do you feel about that? Is that something that's changing? Does it need to change? Uh, it's definitely not changing. Um, I, I've written about this before, actually. I wrote about it when the newer version of The Witches came out, starring Anne Hathaway, who has um, fingers that appear irregular to uh, regular hands. And uh, obviously, you know, it's prosthetics and makeup and so on to make her look ugly and scary because she's a witch. And, you know, I wrote about it condemning the film because I just said, you know, have we not learned anything in, in the 25 or however many years it's been since the original came out that, like, you know, physical difference, and I am going to use the term difference here because not all the things that we're covering are disabilities, mm. but physical difference isn't something to be scared of and the, and to be horrified by, but we yeah. still use it constantly in Hollywood to denote this, you know, whether it's a hunchback or a limp or a huge nose or ugly warts or, you know, anything, anything. Um, we, we use those things to, to symbolize being ugly, being scary, being horrific, being somebody you don't want to be associated with and are terrified of. And so, and there, but there are disabilities at the core of all of those things. And there are disabled people walking around or moving around rather with physical differences very much like those. So it's really sad when uh, when I keep I keep seeing more and more films like that. And it's funny because like, you know, people will be like, oh, my God, you're being too woke. It's just it's obvious it's a costume, blah, 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 blah. But it 
How is it different to anything else? How is removing your fingers, either digitally or with makeup or whatever, uh, to show a scary hand any less problematic than putting somebody who's non-disabled in a wheelchair? Yeah. It's all the same. It's all, it all comes from the same thing. Yes, it's all kind of using this to mean something in a way that is not helpful for the people that it represents, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd even say in a way that's disrespectful and derogatory and yeah. demeaning, you know, yeah. um, to the people it, it represents, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I have dwarfism, uh, my children have dwarfism, I'm still regularly called an Oompa Loompa on the street. And how long ago did that movie come out? Wow. You know, these things stick. Yeah. They stick. And that, people don't realise that as well because people will often say, oh, but we know it's a movie. We know it's fantasy. Okay, but do your kids know that? And did you talk to them about it? I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm saying let's talk to our kids about it. Let's use it as, as a teaching moment. Yes. But it's it, what I found very interesting, and I, when I was reading about this whole thing of, you know, using disability and disfigurement in um, storytelling, mm. um, that it, you know, it dates back to Plato and Buddhism and, right. you know, it's in Shakespeare. So it's a really old part of it. This is, you know, this is not just cinema. This goes way, way back, doesn't it? It's an old storytelling tradition, yeah. um, which makes it even harder, I suppose, for people to appreciate the need to unpack it because you know you can you can just hear the people who would respond to this by saying it's just a part of storytelling it's how we communicate as human beings mm -hmm. it's how we make sense of our it's our fantasy. kind of lives it's what fantasy is yeah it's a genre yeah. yeah how do how do you say we change that thinking and that idea that it's just ancient history so it can't be changed well again i think it's in the conversations that we have i think I strongly don't agree with films like The Witches being remade. Um, but we watch the original, me and my kids, we watch it. We've talked about it. We talk about disability, uh, disabilities other than our own yeah. uh, lots. Um, and it, it provides great talking points for that kind of stuff. And, and films in general, you know, there are problematic things about many films that go far beyond disability and to be able to have those conversations around the dinner table with your kids, with your family, with your friends and stuff, you know, you can learn loads from it. So mm. I'd never say, you know, bin them, cancel them. But it's a bit like the Roald Dahl story, right? Like, why are we rewriting these narratives and kind of trying to make them less problematic, but they are still problematic because they're problematic at their core? Yes. Rather than making new stories... That we're, which are really exciting and wonderful and which are celebratory of identity and, and not at all derogatory in any way. I mean, is it to do with the fact that some people, there's so much safety in the stories that they know, be they on screen, in books, Roald Dahl, you know, and ancient stories, that the idea of changing them just feels, um, you know, it, feel, it feels like a an assault on people's identity and their own personal history. Is, is, that, is that why people feel so threatened? Probably, yeah. Um, but I don't, as I said, I don't think we should be changing them. I think we should make, be making new stories. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Enjoying yeah. the old ones and talking about why they're 
they're not okay in some instances, but also, yeah, making new stories. But yeah, no, I agree. I think people just feel like, oh, well, I'm, I'm being oppressed for enjoying this and, you know, I'm being thought of as problematic for enjoying it. No, 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 you're not. You're absolutely not. I enjoy The mm. Witches. It's a great film. But I also have conversations about what about it is not cool, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a really, yeah, I think that's really helpful for you to sort of say that you, you're, you're watching the witches, you're understanding and appreciating the enjoyable part of the story, but you are also perceiving the problems. And basically, we can all do that, can't we? We're all capable of looking at something and going, oh, that, that bit, you know, I can see why that's an artistic or looks great or whatever, but that bit there is a real problem. And if what's needed is for the core, to be changed, as in the champion story, the core of the story is redemption from somebody who's a bit of a cliche in himself as a sort of womanising drunk. I mean, like, you know, yawn, yawn, frankly. How many of these have we seen in cinema? Do we need any more? And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's recognising there's different levels of shift that need to be done. People's responses can be very sort of like, oh, well, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and all that kind Mm -hmm. of... (laughs) Those kind of cliches come out, don't they? Sure. Yeah, and I think... um you know there's a section of the population where they they don't want to they don't want to hear this this and that's you know okay fine but to anybody that's willing to be challenged slightly in their views great yeah yeah. Well, let's talk then about, because um, you were saying, you know, where, where can there be positive representation of things? And um, I mean, an obvious one is um, that, that gets talked about. Um, so I, I'm interested to hear, you know, your thoughts on it is uh, Peter Dinklage is uh, Tyrion in Game of Thrones. There's been a lot of people who've written about his character in this and, you know, the depiction of his battle to kind of workarounds, basically, to be able to survive in this sort of medieval fantasy world. Mm. What's what's your sort of thoughts on that? Um, what I, ad- among many things, admire about Peter Dinklage and the characters that he chooses, including Tyrion, is that uh, he's very conscious in his choices of um, not upholding narratives uh, in Hollywood about people with dwarfism. So, you know, you won't see him uh, as an elf or... Uh, as one of the Snow White Seven Dwarfs or, you know, even at the beginning of his career, he he wasn't into that kind of stuff because he knows how damaging that stuff is. He's grown up just like I have with that, with that over our heads. Um, and so I, I've read interviews with him about the character of Tyrion. I'm not, um, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan myself either, but I know very much about his character and, and the role and how it's, how it's posited and how careful it is in not uh, treating him as as this fantasy race that dwarves are often depicted as yeah. in in similar kind of films and stuff like this, um, and as him having like a fully rounded personality that you, that you see that is just. Where his dwarfism is there and it's, it's mentioned and there are barriers that he comes across, um, because of society being unwelcoming to him. But it is definitely not all that he is. It's just a facet of who he is. Yeah. Um, in that film, in, in that series. And I mean, yeah, I think it's great. Like hats off to him. And he's, he's, he's garnered so much critical acclaim for that character. You know, he's done, he's done a lot for us in, 
in well i know it's not film but in film and tv i believe strongly yeah. well and, and let's face it one of the biggest kind of on-screen um epic adventures and successes financially and otherwise right. for for many many years which thinking about that um you know and then going back to what we were talking about and and the 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 concern that something like champions sends the message back to studios whether it's tv or cinema Going, oh, you know, let's 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 pull back on this. It it seems that disabled characters don't work. Um, I'm. It's is it not surprising in some ways that because of the success of Game of Thrones and Peter Dinklage's character, that there hasn't been more. Um. Yes, but I think here is where we need to, where I as a as a person with a physical disability need to be very mindful of not. Uh, conflating the experiences of people who have physical disabilities with people who have learning disabilities in Hollywood mm. because it's very different. And we have a, a, a huge amount, by and large, of privilege, even even within the small <laughs> amount of privilege we have in Hollywood compared to people who are learning disabled. Um, so Peter Dinklage's uh, characters um, are great and he's, I'm sure he's progressed the narrative so much for so many of us, but I very much doubt that will be extended ever to people who have learning disabilities because we are not seen in the same light. Right. And the difficulties that we experience or that we are perceived to experience are very, very different. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, Peter Dinklage is a very handsome white man. Um, He's very well-spoken and, you know, he can act um and obviously you know people who have learning disabilities can act as well but there will be a lot of misconceptions around their around their intellectual capabilities and barriers and stuff around that 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 hollywood directors and stuff will need to get over before casting them yeah no, I, 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 I think that's a really, you know, interesting point and something that, again, you know, it's, it's so important that all of us, um, are able to recon- recognize that, um, there are lots of different sort of, um, circumstances within this. It's not a case of just talking about, um, disability en masse. And again, it's something that as critics or anybody talking about these things, we have to understand so that we can, you know, understand the, the different perspectives and experiences in play, isn't it? Right, exactly. And when you think about disability on screen, whether that's on TV or film or whatever, um, you know, I'm I'm from one of the most privileged groups in the sense that you're probably either going to see somebody who's a wheelchair user uh, or someone who looks like me or somebody who has a disability that um, is not obvious, it's not apparent through watching them. So... You know, quite often people just think, well, that is the disabled experience, but the disabled experience is far from just that. And what we need to look at is who is not in the room and who is not on the TV and who is not on the cinema screen rather than who is. And when I was watching Champions, actually, uh, so bearing in mind, it's obviously about a basketball team. This Out of this entire basketball team uh, in middle America, uh, there was only one black player. And uh, that's really not realistic to <laughs> to uh, to basketball. Yeah. So there's you know, other issues there. <laughs> so there are other, yeah, but there, but that's the, I think what I'm trying to say is we always see the white middle class 
wheelchair user or person who has dwarfism or, you know, stuff like that perspective. And we conflate that with the whole of the disabled community. And there is just so much nuance and variety there. Kathy Ray making plain there the significant change still needed when it comes to on-screen representations of disability. And you can check out chapters authored by Kathy in forthcoming books by Gina Martin, Eliza Hull and Natalie and Naomi Evans of the Everyday Racism Project. You can also hear Kathy regularly contributing on radio and TV, including Radio 4, LBC and BBC London. That's it for this time. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and rate Open to Criticism wherever you listen to your podcasts. And why not follow the show on Twitter or Instagram for updates at Open to Criticism with two as the number two. Next week, Amon Warman shares his frustrations of being a black critic in an overwhelmingly white profession. The thing with me when it comes to seeking me out for black stuff, I don't mind it as long as we keep the relationship going and the next thing you call on me for has nothing to do with it. Open to Criticism is written, produced and presented by me, Wendy Lloyd, with original music by Hamish Clark. Thanks for listening. <laughs>